here, but there's been a lot of talk lately about the end times, the last days, and really any time we see or hear of earthquakes, rumors of wars and wars, any time we hear of that, we, we often hear Matthew 24 come out and new sermons come out from Matthew 24. Because Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the sorrows. So people have been quoting these verses and declaring that the end were in the last days for hundreds of years. And technically, if you think about it, thousands of years, going all the way back to Jesus' day. If you look at um, Hebrews 1 and 2, it says, God who has who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, last days, these are last days 2,000 years ago, spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the worlds. So the fact is that we've been in the last days for more than 2,000 years. Okay? So if we're in the last days for 2,000 years now, what is God waiting for? What's he waiting for? If we're in the last days, and, uh, you know, it's, it's whatever time to the end, what is he waiting for? So that's what we're going to look at today. What is God waiting for? What, what is he waiting for to return? 2 Peter 3.9 says, For the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So one of the reasons why we're in the end times and the end hasn't, the final end hasn't happened yet is because God is patient with us, patient with the world. He doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. He doesn't want that. It's not as well that anyone should perish. Remember, John 3.16 says that too. But unfortunately, some people are going to die and go to hell because they're going to not add faith to the provision of forgiveness that Jesus already provided for them. Their sins have already been paid for. Their sins have already been, it says God's not even counting their sins against them anymore. The most vile, awful sins that the world's doing today, God's not counting that against them right now. And if they'll ask forgiveness and act, add faith to the, his provision, they'll get saved and born again just like you and I did. Amen? But if they don't, then uh, they're not going to experience the freedom that Christ paid for. So we can hear, we see here that God is waiting patiently for people to get saved. That's one of the things. Let me show you another thing God's waiting for. Matthew twenty-two twenty-four. it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. In Hebrews ten thirteen, he said, from that, time, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So from the time Jesus rose from the dead, put his blood on the mercy seat, of heaven and ratified the new covenant for you and for me from that day forward it says he's been sitting down at the right hand of the father waiting for all of his enemies to be made his footstool okay all right but the strange thing is that in ephesians 1 and 23 it says this and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so first we saw, and not just Hebrews and Matthew, it's in the Bible a lot of times that he's waiting for things, all things we put under his feet. So it says he's waiting for things we put under his feet. Then here it says all things have already been put under his feet. 
That's where uh, people that don't understand the Bible and people that don't believe in Jesus will say, you see, the Bible uh, contradicts itself right here. Which one's true? Well, the reality is they're both true at the same time. But it takes spiritual eyes and understanding to, to find out what God is saying here. So Ephesians 1, says that God has already put everything under his feet. And then Hebrews and Matthew said, but it's not yet. So what's going on is all things are under his feet, but he's waiting for us to enforce the victory that he already paid for. All things, it said, but he's waiting for all. Okay, he's waiting, but it's already done. He's waiting, but it's already done. So what is he waiting for? He's waiting for the church. All right. Now, you think about wars, often when wars happen and wars are over, usually the losing side is not too happy about losing. And so they'll still have some stealth missions, they'll still be doing some stuff over here. Sometimes they're still fighting because they didn't hear that the war was already over. So it takes soldiers and people under governing authorities to go into those villages, communities, and tell them, hey, the war is over, a peace treaty has been signed, you guys have been defeated, this is what's going on now, and enforce the law. And guess what? That's you. That's me. The victory has already been won for us through Christ, and now it's our turn to enforce the law, enforce the victory, not to human beings, but to spirits, principalities, and powers in heavenly places that are being poor losers and trying to uh, get victories over things that Christ already paid for. Amen? It's up to the church to enforce the victory he paid for. We are his soldiers. We are soldiers in Christ. We are under his marching orders to go and proclaim and declare the freedom that he paid for. Amen. Amen. The war is over. The peace treaty has been signed. The enemy has been defeated. You are victorious. We don't have to wait till the book of Revelation or the end of the book. We don't have to wait till we die to get to heaven. Your victory has already been secured through Christ. It's secured. You are victorious through Jesus. Amen. So Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 said, And he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, to be the head over all things to the church. So all things are under Jesus' feet, and Jesus is the head, and the church is his body. Okay? Which is his body, verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is the head, we're the body, where are his feet? At the bottom, right? They're under. And what's under his feet? All those things. What's under his feet is under our feet because his feet are our feet because we're the church. We are his body. He's put all things under our feet, but it's time for us to walk on some of these things and take authority and dominion over the things that he's already paid for and enforce the victory in people's lives around us. Put out the fires in some of the wars in people's homes by the power of faith and the power of God's word. And he's waiting until these enemies are made his footstool. I can't remember where it is. I think it's 2 Peter, but it might be 2 Timothy. But somewhere in there, it says it has a line there that there's something that the saints can do to speed up his coming. You know, the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, but yet the saints have a part about his coming. They have a part they can do to speed it up or slow it down. I'm not saying I fully understand that, but I'm thinking maybe this is part of that, that it's when the church wakes up to do what we're supposed to do and then, then you know, and enforce the victory that Christ already paid for and not let wimpy, weak demons have authority in places that he already paid for. They are, their arms are cut off. Their legs are cut off. They're totally defeated. But because the church is so afraid, we're letting demons kill our children and kill our community and not do a thing about it because we're ignorant of the, what the spirits are doing. 
And it's time to get a spiritual education of the spiritual life of Christ and enforce the victory that Christ paid for. I'm not, if I sound mad, I'm not mad. I am mad. I'm mad at the devil because I've seen it too many times. I had a girl call me, I think it was Thursday night. Her mother called me, and this girl was terrified to go home because she had demons in her house. And uh, that's the second time in the last, I don't know, six months or so I've got a call like that. And I was just like, all right, well, sweet. I'm glad you knew who to call. Because, I mean, I mean, because there's honestly, there's, there's towns and communities people could go through stuff like that, and they don't know who to call. This girl used to go to our youth group. And so she called, and uh, I just walked her through some things, told her some things to do. But, guys, I, I see that increasing. And they're not going to be call, have time just to call Pastor Ryan or somebody else. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You are filled with dominion and authority over all unclean spirits. You are filled with the Spirit of the living God. They are under your feet. You are, he is the head. You are his body. He's put everything under his feet, and Jesus is waiting for us to enforce that victory. And you have to do it with your faith, with your mouth, with your words, with the power of God, with faith in what Jesus said, not with your feelings. Well, I feel down. I feel this. Guess what? You're going to until you open your mouth with a victory shout and let out the words of Christ. We're going to, we do feel that way. Everyone feels that way from time to time. Sometimes we feel that way for a long time, but there's only one way out, and it's through Christ. The medicine won't do it. It might make you feel better for some days, but it's not going to bring freedom and deliverance. Only Christ can free you and liberate you from demonic strongholds and principalities and powers. Only Christ. Only Christ. Amen? So he is the head. Now let me show you this in Hebrews 2.8. You put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. Do you see that? So all things are put under him, but right now we don't see all things put under him because it's time for the church to be the body of Christ and then walk in and force the victory and put all things under his feet where it's supposed to be. I'm not talking about people, okay? We don't have authority over people, but we have authority over principalities and powers, and people are influenced by demons, Okay? We want to influence people, we want to influence culture. Well, guess what? We win the war in the heavenlies, we win the war in the spirit realm, and a lot of the stuff we're dealing with is going to shift and change because they're, they're demonically influenced. The Bible talks about doctrines of demons and things like that. They're trying to influence how we think, what we believe, how we support things. I'm telling you, it's time for the church to rise up and learn how to pray. Learn how to pray. It's a dying to our flesh. It's a dying to what feels good. It's not Hollywood. It's not anything. It's a, it's a sacrifice. It's time. It's effort sometimes. It's energy. It's getting before God and seeking his face till we have an answer for solutions that people have. Look at what Jesus did. What did he do? Did he model this? Did he model that? Everywhere he went, he modeled that. He said, every community you go to, every town you go to, every village you go to, heal the sick, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. Every time. That's what he did, because that's the heart of God. He doesn't want us to be demonically oppressed. He doesn't want us to be under the influence of demons. He doesn't want people to kill themselves and shoot themselves and shoot up with drugs because they can't get away from the pain they're feeling. And guess what? The church has the answer, and it's sitting in us in these jars of clay, and it's, it's, they're trapped inside unbelieving believers. It's like Christ is trapped inside of us. We have to let him out. This jar needs to crack. We need to be broken for the lost so that we can let him out. And we have to be led by the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, we'll do more ministry through this small 
church right now, small, by being led by the Spirit, then any programs, any agendas, any plans you get off the internet, oh, this church is doing this, this church is doing that, and I, I'm fine with that. I want every church to succeed in our county. I want everyone to grow. I want every church in this county to be packed and overflowing out the doors. I want to see the hospitals empty, the prisons empty. I want to see all these things. I want to see, you know, people not killing themselves. I want a suicide rate go to zero. I want to see all those things. I, I do. But I'm telling you, we need to obey the Spirit of God. You say, I don't know what to do. Well, guess what? When you get in a situation when you don't know what to do, you're in a perfect place because you have to hear God or else. We need it. We need that. So what is God waiting for? He's waiting patiently because he's not wanting anyone to perish. And Jesus is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool or placed under his feet. And he wants our help. Co-laborers with Christ. Why would we think that Christ was going to do these works but then all, after he rose and went to heaven, then he has a whole new set of works to do. We're to do the same works, and greater works than these shall we do, because he went to the Father. It is the same works. And guys, I hate sickness and disease. I hate death. I hate disease. I hate that I prayed for a bunch of people that haven't been healed. I hate that I prayed for Terry Edwards multiple times, and his back still hurts. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. And I'm praying and fasting over that. I'm asking God for insight and wisdom because we have the power to break it, but there's something in the way we have to press through till we get it. Jesus paid for Terry's back pain. He carried his pain. He bore his pain on his back and all the stuff that Debbie's been going through. And I'm telling you, it's time to fight a good fight of faith. And you know what? If anything, I can say I'm thankful for COVID for this because if it took COVID to shake me up, to wake me up, to wake our church up, to wake our culture up, our generation up, what's going on around us, then praise God for COVID. And whatever else it takes to get us out of our comfort zone and do something powerful for God. Amen? Amen. I want to show you something else he's waiting for. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not thankful for the disease COVID. I'm not thankful that anyone perished, died during COVID. not thankful for sickness. I'm not saying that. But sometimes circumstances, situations push us into something. Not that we pre-planned. I'm not saying God foreordained whatever, but God will use whatever for victory. He used anything to push us to victory. And um, we had time to pray, and we had time to be lazy. Didn't we? And, and now is the time not to be lazy. Let me show you another thing God's waiting for. James 5, 7, and 8. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. 2,000 years ago, right? But it's still near, amen? So who is the farmer here? All right, you're not going to get it wrong. It's the basic Sunday school answer. Who is the farmer? Jesus, right? Jesus is the farmer. Yes, it's always Jesus, Okay. What is, the pa- what is the patient farmer waiting for? Right? He's waiting for the harvest, right? You're not going to get it wrong. If you get it wrong, who cares, right? You'll get it right after that. That's how we learn by making mistakes, right? So um, he's waiting for the land to produce its crop, and he's patiently waiting for the spring rain and the autumn rains. Because the spring rain and the autumn rains are directly connected to the harvest. Okay? All right, I hope you're gonna, you can go ahead and jump into spirit art ahead of where I'm going with this, okay? But because these rains are directly connected uh, to the valuable crop, these crops are valuable to God. The crops are us. 
It's the lost. It's the harvest. They're valuable to him. They're precious to him. It's the most precious thing on the planet to God. It's not gold. He walks on gold. It's people. It's people. So God is patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains to help this crop come in. Let me show you a few verses about rain. Hosea 6.3. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Now, the latter rain and former rain are directly connected to the spring rain and the, and the autumn rain that we just read about before. Let me show you Joel 2. Joel 2.23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, which we heard about a minute ago. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully and will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. There's multiple ways you can interpret this, but I'm going to interpret this today in a supernatural way. We, we need the rain for the harvest, okay? This is not talking about a normal rain. This is talking about a supernatural rain because normally you have one in the spring and one in the fall. And this is saying it's going to be a supernatural rain is going to come in the same month. The former and latter in the same month, and this because this same month of rain having this at the same time, an amazing harvest is going to take place. What is the only harvest God cares about? I'm not saying he doesn't care about your potatoes, or pats in here, or whatever, or your, your garden. Yeah, of course he does. But the harvest of harvests that he gave his life for is humanity. Okay? So if this is really what this verse is saying, then Joel is prophesying about a future day where the harvest would be abundant, where the harvest would be amazing. And guys, I believe we are living in those days right now. Right now. Amos 9.13 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip down from where? The mountains. I just believe revival is going to start in the mountains. I just do. There's so many verses about the mountains. It's going to start from the drip down from the mountains and flow down off all the hills. Okay? So Amos prophesied this about four groups of people. We have the reaper, who's the one who collects the harvest. We have the plowman, is the one who plows the ground and makes it ready for the seed. Then you have the planter, the one who scatters the seed. Then you have the grape stomper, who's in there treading out the grapes and getting ready to make this wine. Okay? So the reaper, while he's still collecting the harvest, he's still picking up all the grapes, all the harvest time, he's going to have a, the plowman who's plowing the field going right on bottom. Hey, man, he's, gonna go, he's plowing another whole field. He's plowing another whole thing while he's still doing it. And the other guy, the planter of the seeds, will be passed by the one who's crushing grapes. Well, that's not normal. How can they crush grapes before the seed already goes in the ground? Well, guess what? It's a supernatural harvest. It's a supernatural harvest. The rain's going to come. The rain represents the Holy Spirit, his presence, his presence, the former rain, the latter rain, going to come together in the same month, and his presence come, the rain of God falls down, they're going to have supernatural harvests coming up from the ground, it won't be time enough to collect it all, we're going to need all the people on deck, the reaper, the plower, the grape crusher, and everybody else, the seed sower, all working together to bring this harvest in, because God loves the harvest, and he says it's valuable to him, it's precious to him, he's waiting for it, he's not wanting him to perish, it said, the end of verse 13 said, new wine will drip down from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Some of the hills or all the hills? All the hills, amen? This is not a work of man. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. But man has to partner with the Holy Spirit for it to work right. Those four groups, 
we co-labor with Christ. We go into the work. He blesses it. He lets the rain come down, and things, things start happening. Guys, could you, do you, can you imagine what that could look like? You remember how many prophecies over our church have been said about this thing, about for this house? Or had so many people here, they were, people were over there and filled the whole, and they had no idea why they were there. And uh, the power of God was touching people and things like that. We can't make that happen, praise God, but I'm going to be having a good time watching it and doing whatever my part is, trying to help people that are a little offended by it. Sorry, but God's offending you a bit because he loves you. I mean, he's trying to break you out of religion and into a relationship with him. So it might offend you a bit at first, but he's trying to take you somewhere. All right? So the three things I said God's waiting for, he's waiting for, waiting to be impatient because he is not wanting anyone to perish. He is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool, and he wants our help. And the farmer is patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. He is waiting for the, his valuable crop to come in for harvest time. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for 2,000 years. And now there's more people alive today, I've heard said, than you put all the people collected together uh, from the beginning of time till now. I've heard there's more people alive right now than all those put together. I'm not a mathematician on that, but it's, it's a big number anyway. We're in the... We're in the Seven billions now, are we? I think we're still in sevens. Anyway, that's a lot of people. And God loves them. So praise God, Amos said, those days are coming. Those days are coming. I don't think that was Acts 2. I don't think that was Acts 4. I don't think that was other, uh, Acts 10 where the, where the Gentiles came in. I think that's the season we're in right now, where the former rain and latter rain come together, and we see a harvest like we've never seen before. If there ever been a good time to be alive on the earth, it's right now. Amen. It's right now. Let me read a few more verses to you. Isaiah 45, 8, it says, Rain down, you heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open, and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. So we see righteousness coming down from the rain, righteousness springing up from the ground, salvation breaking out, and the Lord says, I've done it, I've created it, I've made it happen. Amen. Habakkuk 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters, rain or waters, cover the sea. Everyone's going to know what's going on. Everyone's going to know. Uh, Haggai 2.9, the, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace and prosperity, says the Lord of hosts. Guys, those days are coming. Those days are coming. Amen. And there's only one way to prepare for it, and it's through prayer. It's getting with God, spending time with the Lord, asking Him questions, praying, meditating, and being practicing being led by the Spirit. I want to share with you a few prophecies about this that day that's coming. We read some from the Bible. I have a few more I want to share with you from uh, many you may have heard of. Smith Wigglesworth, he said this in 1947. He said, During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that happened in the 90s in the Toronto airport, uh, Toronto vineyard movement. And it happened in Great Britain. It happened all over. It was, that was one of the big things that people are baptized in the Holy Spirit and the power of God and gifts were being restored. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In duration of, of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. 
But the Lord says, no, neither is this the great revival, but both are steps towards it. So it was two different revivals that happened. And if you look in Europe now, those big churches that were so filled before are empty. The mainline, traditional, denominational churches, they are empty. There's hardly anyone in those churches. They've all left to go to non-denominational, more charismatic-type churches. And I've had stats that I couldn't find them there in my um, study notes I did with Global Awakening before. It's already happened. Now look what he says next. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence. This there will be evidence in the churches something that has not been seen before: a coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and those with an emphasis on the spirit. When the word and the spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that this nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of a revival that will eclipse anything that we have witnessed within these shores, even the Wesleyan and the Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over from the UK to the mainland of Europe, and from there will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. Amen. Another one, William Seymour. Uh, He prophesied a revival like Azusa Street. I'm going to share a few stories about Azusa Street because I love him, and they they build faith, what God's going to do. But he said... Um, another revival like Azusa Street, only greater, would come again. Only this time it wouldn't be in one place, it would be all over the world. That God's visible Shekinah glory would return to the earth a hundred years from now. He said that in about 1909. So we're past the hundred year mark, so it's time. It's time. It's past time, all right? The same day, Charles Parham uh, prophesied the same thing uh, at another location. In Topeka, Kansas, outpouring... And it said that Acts 2 was a former rain outpouring foretold by the prophets. He saw that was happening at the beginning of the 20th century was the latter rain outpouring. And he prophesied that in about 100 years, the former rain and the latter rain would come together and that this outpouring would come just before the second coming of the Lord. So we have the two different witnesses the same day, the same thing. It lines up with scripture. These days are coming. These days are coming. So let me tell you a little bit about Azusa Street, because our, our youth group, we used to, sometimes I tell them these stories, they call our youth group Plum Azusa. They call it back in Meredith's day, and Mackenzie's day, and Marshall, and they were this little and that. But um, African-American William Seymour, which his name was very ironic, because he had one bad eye. <laughs> his name was Seymour, but he had a bad eye. Uh, he had a, a bout with smallpox when he was a kid, and lost vision in it, but... Anyway, but he had this uh, ministry in Los Angeles, which is the city of angels. And they had a lot of angelic activity going on. So in the beginning in Azusa, he says, we had no musical instruments. In fact, we felt no need for them. There was no place for them in our worship. All was spontaneous. We did not even sing from hymnals. All the old, well-known hymns were sung from memory, quickened by the Holy Spirit. The Comforter Has Come was possibly one of the most sung We sang it from a fresh, powerful heart experience. Oh, how the power of God filled and thrilled us. The songs of Christ's blood were also very popular. We saw some of that happening today. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Uh, I started with uh, Hallelujah, Lord God Almighty reigns. Aaron, you had one that was an old song, wasn't on the playlist, that you did. um, Open the eyes of my heart. I mean, just spontaneous stuff coming up that wasn't in the plan, okay? Brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty boxes, one on top of each other. Now, this is odd. He usually kept his head inside one of the boxes during the meeting. 
imagine you're a first-time visitor church, and what's that black dude doing up there with his head in those apple crate boxes? What's he doing? Well, you just wait and see what he's doing. Talk about humility, huh? There's two boxes there. He's got his head in one. Um, he would wait until he heard from God, and then he would do what God instructed him to do. Isn't that a formula for God? That's what Moses did. That's what we're supposed to do. Amen? Sometimes he would sit with a box over his head for 10 minutes, and other times it would be an hour or more. You imagine? Like, it's like, come on, let's get the service going. When are we going home? Come on, I'm hungry. There's a football game on. We got to go. And he's like, got this thing on his head. I'm not leaving until God says something to me. If he was the only one there when he was done, he stayed. So, but of course, they didn't go. At times, he would go to certain sections of wheelchairs or to certain sections of cots, and the cots were, uh, were for people who had been carried in from the hospital. To their astonishment, Sima would point to, at them all and say, everyone on cots or wheelchairs, you are healed in the name of Jesus. And everyone on the cots or wheelchairs would get up and walk around fully healed of whatever malady they suffered from. Was it worth the embarrassment of him putting his head in the, in the egg carton or egg box? Or not egg, but apple box? Amen? He, he said, wait, and the guy said, go do this. He goes, all right. So then he walks over and boom, and everybody gets up. I want that. I want that bad. The fire department was called on several occasions as people passing by saw the flames leaping up from the roof of the building. Some of the greatest miracles were when the flames were were above the building. So people were seeing the spirit, people that were saved or unsaved, they're seeing the spirit, these flames on top of the church building. And he said the greatest miracles happen sometimes during those flames. And they saw them so clearly, they called the fire department. Oh, that'd be a fun night, huh? The fire trucks show up, and like, woo, 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 and out there in the yard, and they're ready to start spraying, and like, oh, all right. Okay, um, on one occasion, Seymour had approached a man with a wooden leg and asked, what did you come here for? This made me think of uh, Benny Benfield. Pat told the story this morning. He had his leg chopped off in the, from the knee down just a few days ago in our community here. And uh, this man came. So what did you have your come for prayer for? The man replied, I want you to pray for my leg. It is starting to get gangrene where the wooden leg attaches. Seymour replied, I'm just upset because you have that wooden leg on. It would be a challenge for God to grow out a leg with the wooden leg attached. The man removed the wooden leg and stood before Seymour standing on his one good leg. And I'm guessing he was standing like this then. <laughs> Called him Eileen. Or, <laughs> or he was leaning on somebody because he got one leg. <laughs> He's got one leg. I mean, how do you stand there? Hey, that's funnier than your faces are showing right now. Like, he gets a new leg. That's the end of the story, right? So Seymour, stand on, anyway, okay. he, Seymour laid his hands on the man and proclaimed, Let thy name be glorified. In the name of Jesus, I command this leg to grow out. The gangrene gone, and you are healed. Seymour didn't preach that night, for the miracle spoke for itself. The guy's leg grew back. The whole from the knee down, bones, skin, cells, ankle, toes, toenails, flesh, just right in front of everybody by the power of God. It's the same God. Imagine it happened for Benny Benfield. I don't, I don't think I've ever met the man. I don't know him. Maybe you guys do. But uh, that's the power of God. Another occasion, Seymour spoke with a man who had lost his arm 10 years earlier through a work-related accident. His arm was crushed in a, a logging accident, and for the shoulder down, just totally crushed. Um, Brother Seymour asked the crowd, would you like to see God have a wonderful time here tonight? So, man, you know, you know you're hearing God, man. You already know what's going to happen. 
Because you know why? Because he's walking in another realm of authority. He's walking in the Shekinah glory. There's stories about the kids playing hide-and-go-seek, if you will, in the Shekinah glory, in the services of God, because they were there for long services. And they're, they're playing peekaboo and stuff in the Shekinah glory because they're physically seeing it. The glory of God, the presence of God, the power of God. So, um, Brother Seymour asked the crowd, would you like to see God have a wonderful time here tonight? Seymour then asked the one-armed man, can you work with just one arm? I'm just giving minimal jobs, paying, uh, being barely paid. I barely make enough to even eat. Seymour, shocked by his reply, said, that's not good. He said, are you married? Yes. Got any kids? Yes. This man needs to be able to make a living. This man needs to work, and he needs to be able to pay his tithe. Will you tithe if I pray for you and God gives you your arm back? Seymour said jokingly, just teasing him. Uh, the man said, yes, yes, I'll tithe. And Seymour burst out laughing. I'm just having fun. I'm just kidding. Then he slapped his hands on, the shul- on his shoulder itself and commanded the arm to grow out. Almost instantly it grew out. The healed man stood in total shock, then started moving his arm and in the feeling of it with his, with other hand, with his hand, and everyone marveled at this miracle. So it's from the shoulder. There's nothing there. His, his shirt like mine had just been hanging down. All of a sudden, here comes a new arm, elbow, wrist, all the bones and the fingers, the skin, the nails. Guys, that's God. And that's, that's what I believe is going to happen. And he said even greater, they prophesied, when the former rain and the latter rain come together, when the day of miracles really comes, comes into activation in a whole new way, we're seeing things our mind hasn't even comprehended. Amen. Listen to what happened next. Can you imagine this happening? Because if someone came in here with no arm and they went home with two, it'd be hard to hide that. You know, like going to work, like, can I get my job back? What happened to you? Like, you can't just go back to work without sharing your testimony. It's impossible. You had one arm, now you have two. So he comes back a few weeks later and he brings 200 people with him. 200 people that heard he had to tell these stories to because he had now had two arms. And telling many. Uh, he had been telling many people about he, he excuse me he got his old job back he was now working and his boss was probably there many of those he brought with him needed healing and left that evening totally restored as people in the crowd prayed and laid hands on them amen one more story and my heart crying this is God do it again I don't need that miracle for myself I have two arms I got both legs I can walk, but there's people I know that can't walk. People uh, we, you may know that don't have an arm or missing a leg or something, or missing something. And guess what? The same spirit raised Christ from the dead that lived in William Seymour uh, lives in us. It's the same spirit. So another night, a woman who caught her husband with another woman had gotten into a fight with her, and the adulterous woman bit off her ear. This is like before Mike Tyson. So this is like... <laughs> Really bad fight here, okay? When the wife entered the room, the meeting room, she was holding a bloody bandage to the side of her head. Sister Carney, one of the ladies in the, in the meeting, noticed she appeared to be in tremendous pain and went over to minister to her. While waiting for Brother Seymour to come down and the meeting to begin, Sister Carney asked her what had happened. The lady told her about the fight. She told her that she didn't have the ear with her. I guess she left it somewhere. I don't know. She didn't have her ear with her. That's something you don't hear every day, right? And uh, Sister Carney reached over and kind of pulled the bandage off of, to see the wound that basically looked like a bloody raw piece of meat. As you can imagine, that's gross. 
Without hesitation, she began to pray for this woman. After praying for her, the lady said that the pain was gone, so Sister Carney looked into, at her wound again, and to her astonishment, right before her eyes, a brand new ear began to grow out. Sister Carney sat there with her mouth open and, and simply exp explained, explained, Oh my God, which every one of you would do the exact same thing, and you may not be able to stand afterwards. Guys, this is the kind of God that we serve. This is the kind of God that loves you, that gave everything for you. And this is the kind of God who's patiently waiting for the harvest. He's patiently waiting for the harvest. What he's waiting for uh, is because he does not want anyone to perish. He's waiting until his enemy to be put under his feet. And he's waiting for the, for the autumn rain and the spring rain to come and rain on the land so he can collect his valuable harvest. Amen. And he wants us to be co-laborers in that. And to me, that's very exciting. It's very exciting. It's very humbling. It's very exciting. And so, God wants you to be a part. Amen. So, we must continue and pray and believe God for these things. This be part of supernatural harvest. Amen. Now, I know in our brain, we'll say, you can say, that's not possible. Well, guess what? There's nothing in the Bible that was possible. All the miracle stories in there were not possible. They wouldn't have been in the Bible. It wasn't possible. But with God, all things are possible. And to me, if God did such a great thing in the creation of the world and such an uh, amazing thing in the, in, uh, when Moses and all the Israelites left Egypt, if he did all these amazing things along the way, why would he not close up the book or close up this era of time with something amazing that hasn't even been thought of before? It's just his nature. He goes from glory to glory to glory to glory. You know, we, we sing about and say he's come back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And we are that in the spirit realm. And our spirit is already like that. But I'm telling you, he's talking about the church. Glorious, victorious. Not in weak, broken down, and we're the most pitied of men. But walking in victory and authority because that's who we are in him. Amen. So I want you guys to stand. I want to pray for you. Pray together. Um, I know you can, you can think, well, I can't do that. Neither could Moses. Neither could Peter or Paul, Timothy, Thomas, Judas. None of them could do the things that God asked them to do. But it's not about you. It's about Christ in you. It's about who's in you. Who's in you, okay? And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I'm telling you, you are called, qualified, and recruited. You are drafted. You are drafted in uh, for God's army. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray, then we're going to take up uh, offering. Thank you, Mark, for reminding me. <laughs> so I probably would have forgot. But um, God, there's things you're asking us to do that we can't do. And so you gave us your spirit to help us do those things. And I pray, God, you'd help us to let the spirit dominate us and dominate our flesh and not let fear or anxiety or demons dominate our flesh or over-influence us. God, we want to do the works of the ministry, not so people know our name, but so that you be glorified and that our friends and family members that we know that are tormented will be delivered. 
and our friends and family members that are going to die and go to hell unless they receive you will get saved. And so, God, you're waiting for the harvest. You're waiting for your enemies to be put under your feet. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that. Help us to put see and put your spiritual enemies under your feet, under our feet. And I pray, God, you would send the former rain and the latter rain in the same month. You cause the, the, the plowman to pass the, the reaper, the grape crusher to be passed by the one sowing seeds. God, you release the supernatural harvest on this planet. It doesn't matter about government. It doesn't matter about those things in this regard because you triumph. This trumps over all those things in every country, on every, every, every country of the world, every continent. Pour out your spirit, God, I pray. You'd rain down righteousness from above and bring up righteousness from beneath and we'd cause the church to grow and grow and grow and grow in you with strength, unity, and power. So God, I just pray for your people now. I thank you for this service. I pray you'd baptize them fresh and anew, God, with the Holy Spirit and fire. You burn off the chaff. You burn up the complacency. You burn up the dry bones, the dry places in us that have become dry and dormant and stale. You burn that off us, God, and set us on fire with the love of God and a passion to do the things you asked us to do. Your vision hasn't changed. Your commission hasn't changed. But God, we've changed some. But we can change back into your original design with your word and with your spirit. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to blow through this place, even right now, just blow through this house. The time is now. The time is today. I ask you God to blow through this house right now. Let the rains come right now. And fill us up, God, with your power, confidence, wisdom, and authority to do the works of Christ. ask you guys to remember continue to pray and fast seeking God or uh, fasting up until Easter Sunday and uh, you can go longer if you want to but that's what we're doing as a body and just seek God and just we're going to go after the things of God I'm telling you supernatural things amen amen supernatural things thank you amen supernatural things are going to be released to us for the works of God. Do you want them? I mean, I'm asking that, but I'm telling you, God's asking that right now. Do you want them? Because they do come with a price. They do come with a cost.
not everybody will be thrilled about your newfound enthusiasm or whatever. But are you living for you or are you living for him? I'm saying that to you. I'm saying it to me too because we all have those feelings. To God, I don't know what it's going to cost me, us, totally. I have some ideas, but I don't know specifically. But God, I'm saying here now in front of this church, my friends, my family, I'm saying yes. God, I want the more of you. I want to do not just one miracle a month or a week. I want to see multitudes, Lord. I want to see, I mean, I don't even know what, just a lot. Your limit, not mine. And not just through me, God. I want to see it through my friends right here in front of me, my family. There's no competition for greater stories or testimonies, but we're just celebrating the victories of Christ. Like really, with no jealousy. Pray for no jealousy in this house, God. Yes, Lord, no jealousy in our house. Lord, release gifts that we won't be jealous of. Lord, release gifts. Yes, God. I don't have to be the most spiritual person in church or the most whatever. I don't have to be. I'm just a pastor. God, you do what I don't care, God. Pray insecurity be out of the way and any kind of jealous stuff would be out of the way that we could flow in the things you want, God. I don't care if it's a two-year-old or a hundred-year-old, Lord. We just want you to break through in this time, in this season right now. In Jesus' name. Now, if anything I said today shocked you, scared you,